thinking about how to approach this one and I don't really know how to do it because I don't know how to do drama stream reacts. <laughs> it's not what I do. Uh, so this is very, this is a tough one. Uh, and it's a position I don't like to be in because I don't, I think that like, it just, it's worthless. Like the, there are people out there that, that want to think the worst of you. And like, if they have prior issues with you, they'll just capitalize on the moment to, you know, pounce. <clears throat> I find it to be reprehensible. <laughs> I genuinely do. Um, but I don't, I stand by that interview. And for those that don't know, what I'm talking about is an interview I did with Eliza Blue and Thaddeus Russell a year and a half ago. Uh, obviously, I knew nothing of the controversy that would arise from Eliza's side. I knew full well uh, the controversy that came with having Thaddeus on. And I didn't care because I think that, let's just be honest, the risk reward of what I do is totally out of whack already. I, I'm a financially successful guy. I don't need to be doing this. The rewards for doing so are minimal at best. And the risk is enormous. I get put on watch lists. I get banned from everywhere. There's vultures out there. Uh, yeah, it's like the risk rewards fucked up. <laughs> so I'm, I'm already, I've already like committed to this path of like, I'm going to have conversations with, you know, canceled people. And that's probably not going to be to my benefit, but I think that like, that's what I'm passionate about in life. So I do it anyways. I think that is really a much more productive way to live, to have hard conversations with people that were allegedly not supposed to. And that's fine. I think that, you know, sunlight's the best dis disinfectant and better ideas defeat worse ideas. And I think I have better ideas. So I will continue to do so. So. You guys are probably, for those that are completely oblivious to the drama, there's a 45-second clip, which I'll play for you in a minute, uh, taken out of a two-hour interview that uh, people are using to say that Eliza was advocating for grooming. And because Thaddeus is on there and he's got his own baggage that comes with this topic, and I'm nodding during it, they're like, ah, got him, groomers, pedophiles, ah, and I'm like, all right, well, did you watch the interview? So I'll show you some other clips where I actually say what I think should happen with pedophiles, and it's not nice. <laughs> so I, it's uh, it's very frustrating uh, living through this and, and being caught up in a drama wheel that I really, I'm not, I'm not the focal point. Like I'm, I'm definitely collateral damage. Like no one even really cares about me. It's all Eliza, destroy Eliza, destroy Eliza. And then uh, I just happen to be the latest interview that is the uh, the controversy du jour. So now I'm in the position of being called a pedo by a bunch of people, which is not cool. Uh, I really didn't expect, you know, well, first I didn't expect this to happen, but then I also didn't expect it to bother me very much. And it does. It gets to you. It gets to you to have all these people that don't know you at all see a 45 second clip of literally me nodding. That's it. I nodded. As like acknowledging, yes, I hear you. <laughs> you know, it's like I, if you've watched any of my other videos, I do that a lot. I nod during um, many of my guests' conversations. Sometimes it's an agree an agreement and fierce agreement. Sometimes it's uh, you know, 
like, oh, that's an interesting thought or like I'm following. There's lots of reasons to nod. There are. So I'll explain the full context. I'll give you everything since you actually know my my real position here. I think if you if you want to go back, I'll link in the description so you can watch the entire two hours. As I've said, I stand by everything I said in it. I don't think that I have anything to apologize for, and I'm not apologizing because I think that uh, I thought that it was a really productive conversation. That's the weird thing, too. Uh, when I did it, a lot of people were very upset with me. They're like, oh, you're just trying to like generate clicks off of drama, or why are you having this conversation? This makes us all look bad. And I'm like, well, the reason I want to do it is because this is what a lot of people think of libertarians. They think that that we're like, pedos undercover and we want to like question the age of consent laws because that's that's our ulterior motive and i don't think that's true uh, like am i wrong i don't think so uh, at least from for my reasoning it's not it's not some secret alternative uh you know plan so i i thought that having a, an open long form discussion about it is what we ought to be doing. And I don't feel bad about that. And for the record, um, I think for many libertarians that have been like in our world for a long time, they'll understand my rationale, but I'm, I'd imagine that some people that aren't libertarians will be watching and listening to this. So let me explain the foundational premise by which libertarians evaluate everything. We believe that the state sucks at everything it does. Okay. That's our that's our foundational premise. And you know why? Because it's true. Because they do. All right? So if you start from there and you say, okay, the state does a terrible job, but there's a serious problem here. How might we do a better job of protecting people or whatever, whatever the issue is, right? So the same line of reasoning applies when you're talking about grooming and pedophilia like we're still trying to before we fall back on a state solution which is just like criminality bars violence from the state can we come up with a better way because usually state status based solutions are going to be like post the victim victimization you've already had a child who's been abused trafficked raped whatever and I would like to get to the root so that we don't have to rely on the state. Can we rely on family, community? Can we empower the people to self-regulate? Can can the fathers or the mothers um, be empowered to, if if necessary, via violence, protect their children? Like, I know that kind of sounds like a radical idea, but when you when you take a you know eagle eye view of this. That's what we do with the state anyways. That's what we're saying with the state is like 18's the line. If it's beneath that, well, then the state is empowered to bring whatever violence necessary to alleviate that issue. Same concept, right? But I'm just talking about it from the community level because I think that the state does a bad job of it. For instance, the state has like, I don't know how many, but I've, I've read that it's like tens of thousands of untested rape kits that they aren't prosecuting rapists. Well, that's a problem, right? And if the state isn't doing its job, then it kind of becomes the people's job, either to reform it if they can through electoral process or 
to remedy it however they have to. And and that's what this discussion amounted to was like, can we, seeing that the state is terrible at everything it does, can we come up with a better solution? I throw a bunch of ideas out throughout the two hour period. Eliza agrees with some, she disagrees with others. I'm looking at her at the time as an expert in this field. Uh, a lot of other people didn't even realize that this was an 18 month old interview. So let's clarify that. It was, it was July of 2021. And at the time, um, for the full backstory here, I thought that she was on the up and up. And for the record, I'm still not convinced that her entire backstory is, is untrue. I don't know what the truth is. And this really isn't about Eliza. Um, I still got a lot of love for the girl. I've, I knew her personally. I think that in her heart, I, I, I want to believe that she's a good person. And, and if, if she wasn't in fact helping, you know, abuse victims, then I'm going to have to reassess, you know, my opinion of her. Um, but I don't know that. So I'm going to reserve judgment because I would like for people to reserve judgment until they know things for sure. For my case, for everybody's case, like you should, you should try and give people the benefit of the doubt unless you're certain that they've actually done something egregious. And while I think that there's enough evidence to say, yeah, there's some real glaring questions about her backstory. Um, I don't have a conclusion as to what her backstory truly is. And I don't, I certainly don't have a conclusion as to like how much good was she doing in the world with her advocacy. And, and my personal opinion is like, that matters more than her backstory. If you, if she kept kids safe, that's awesome. And I don't really care how you did it because that's a beautiful thing. Some people disagree with me on that. Some people say, oh, well, she's just doing it for fame. Okay. Well. Did she save some kids? Because if she did, I don't care. I don't care. That's better. That's a bet. The, the world is better off because Eliza helped some victims and she saved some people. If that's the case. If that's not the case, well, yeah, then I'm an idiot. <laughs> I've been duped terribly. Um, and that's a possibility. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. It is a possibility. Um, but I, I try, I try to, you know, I'm a very loyal person and I try and, you know, stick up for people until the bitter end until it's like, okay, yeah, obviously this is, this is not reality. Um, you know, my hope in doing this is obviously to clear, clear the, the record or clear up the record. Um, but also, you know, I, I personally believe in paths to redemption and I, I hope I haven't reached out to Eliza to invite her on because one, I'm sure she could get much larger platforms to do that at this point. Um, but two, this isn't what I do. I don't, I don't like to get traction and traffic and clicks and views and subs off of this type of shit. I hate it. I think it's very short lived. I think it's, um, it's almost predatory in nature to just like, capitalize on oh someone's someone's deception is the internet rage so like click here click here i'll tell you the secrets it's like i don't it's it's it doesn't intrigue me i hate it i hate it i think it's a very like it's kind of evidence of our 
cultural decline in some ways. Um, not to say that there's not value in digging for the truth. I mean, there is value in that, but like just the, the feeding frenzy type of thing that people do. Ugh. I don't like it. So, um, yeah, I don't, I didn't want to invite her on because I thought, you know, that's, that's what I would, I would look like I was doing, even if like really like my intentions with it would be like to give Eliza, my friend, an opportunity to clear up the record, whatever it is. And for the record, she's welcome to do so. Um, but I just really don't want to do it and play in this arena. There is this like, there's this little ecosystem of YouTubers and things like that, that do this. And I ain't one of them and I don't want to be. So I, I really didn't want to even do this video. Um, and I didn't want to go on Chrissy Mayer's show last night, but like you get to a level of like haters bombarding you and you just feel compelled to be like, Hey, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you guys coming for me? So I just wanted to have, you know, my voice on record. This is my beliefs or these are my beliefs. And, and this is actually, you know, you can see what I said in the past. And, um, I've never, I, I don't think I've ever done another episode or had anything to say about the age of consent ever. <laughs> and I've done 250 episodes of this show. So like, this is not what I focus on at all. It was circumstantial that it even came to pass. And let's get into why it came to pass. Thaddeus Russell. He sent out a series of tweets, which I'm going to show you in a second. Um, basically saying, you know, I have friends. I think, I think they may have been exes. We'll pull them up so you guys can see. Um, that said that they had relationships in their teens, like 15, 16 or something like that with older people, adults, and they don't feel as if they were victimized. That's his experience, allegedly, and uh, told to him by people he, he considers close, and that's, that's their take. And he's like, what do we do with that? And I think it's a fair question. Like, what, what do you do with that? If, if people, even as adults, you know, he's like, they're now 50, and they still feel as if they weren't victimized, were they? Were they, in fact, victimized? It's an interesting question. I'm not, I, I don't pretend to have a real answer for it. Like, I, I think that if you're 15, 16, and a 30-year-old seduces you, and you voluntarily sleep with them, I still think that's predatory, personally. You know? Because I don't think that, like, at that age, you're really able to make that decision. Now that's that's my opinion. Um, part of this discussion was about different cultures and different time periods where, you know, 15, 16, like you were usually married in many, and there's cultures like that today that exist on this planet right now. And I guess the, the question is like, do we have any opening for debate or discussion given that there are cultural differences when it comes to this topic? Or is it like hard and fast 18? Okay, but there's other states that say it's different. Okay, well, they're all evil. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. And and I don't pretend to know. I really don't know. And I think that this is why this is such a hot, bu hot button topic is because most people, like, at their core, they don't know. And they just hate pedophiles and they want to, they don't want to think about it. 
They're just like, this is what the state says. This is the line, you know, murder everybody beneath it <laughs> or murder everybody that does anything with anybody underneath that age limit. And I mean, that, that ain't working. That's, that's not actually preventing this from happening. Is it? I mean, maybe it's deterring some, I hope it is. Um, but it certainly hasn't solved the problem. So it's like, I think that it's fair if you genuinely care about this issue, which I actually do. I think it is terrible what happens to young people when they get into sexual relationships too early or raped. Um, particularly, you know, young, young, then it's like, I don't know if you ever recover from that type of stuff. So I want to solve it. I want to, and I, obviously it's the human condition. Like there, you're never going to solve it. You're never going to get rid of it entirely, but trying to problem solve and come up with some answers as to like root causes. Why do people go down that path? And from my little understanding of this issue, the vast majority of people that end up being predators were victims. And this is a, I don't know if it's recidivism, but it's like a, it's a merry-go-round of shittiness. And I think that, you know, you kind of have to, you have to strike the root here. Like in order to stop creating predators, we have to stop having predators that are creating more victims that have a higher proclivity for becoming predators themselves. And do we have any sympathy for the people that go on to become predators that were victims? Because like, obviously when they were a child and they were a victim, we have all the sympathy in the world, but then they grow up and their brains destroyed because of what occurred to them and we have no sympathy for them because they've now passed on that victimization to someone some other innocent person and i understand that i feel the same way i feel as if they deserve no sympathy but in some ways if you can take a step back and try and separate yourself from the knee-jerk emotional reaction it's like well they still they still were victims like they still were fundamentally altered by what happened to them and it wasn't their fault. And that's sad. It's tragic. And when they, you know, now become predators themselves and they hurt someone else, obviously they have to be punished. And in my opinion, they have to be at a minimum separated from society for a very, very long time. And so what am I left with? I'm left with, well, how can we stop this cycle of abuse? How? The state isn't doing it. Culturally, we're not really addressing it. We're not even allowed to have the conversation. You could have a two-hour, really nuanced discussion. A 45-second clip of it will be chopped up and put out there for the entire world to feast upon. And it makes me wonder if people aren't interested in actually getting to the root of you know solving this because it doesn't feel as if they are it doesn't not not for the past couple of days it hasn't felt like that to me on my end but i think a lot of people do really want to help and i hope that like after you watch this you'll understand that that's that's my heart that's where i was coming at this conversation uh from like i i'm i'm interested in trying to not just help victims, but like try and prevent more victimization. Like that's how you stop this cycle of 
horrificness. As you can tell, this was all unscripted. I didn't even think about what I was going to say before I sat down because I think that that's what I do. I speak from the heart and not everything I say is going to be perfect, but it's always going to be authentically me. Like I am trying to convey to you my way of thinking, how my brain works and, and what my spirit is. And I believe that my spirit in this and in everything I try to do is good. I am trying to help. Do I fall short? Sometimes I'm sure you'll feel that I do. Um, but I am trying. I am genuinely trying. And I think that we need more people trying. We need more people genuinely trying to fix these terrible, terrible issues that we face as a people broadly. And yeah, I don't know. I hope, I hope you understand where I'm coming from. And, you know, you don't have to have any sympathy for me. This is part of being in the public eye. I, I realize I'm going to get some some uh, attack vectors from time to time. Uh, but if you've been with me for a while, I think you know who I am. I think you understand, you know, what I'm about. And I probably don't even need to be explaining this to you. So if you're if you're one of those people, thank you. Thank you for already knowing my heart. Um, for the the strangers out there that don't know me at all, I guess, let me, let me offer you the kindness you didn't offer me. You don't know me. You saw a 45 second clip. You saw me nodding and you assumed I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> We've all been duped. I, uh, I feel for you. And I hope that this explanation, um, will allow you to see that perhaps you should be more cautious about making assumptions about people with 45 second clips from a two hour interview. We'll leave it at that. Let's get into the evidence, the evidence room. I hate doing this for the record, but I got, I got to show you what happened. So here we go. Let's start with the tweets in question. Mr. Thaddeus Russell, uh, since on June 30th, unfortunately his tweets, which were between himself and Lee Enfield, uh, I think maybe Lee's account was nuked. I don't know if he actually deleted these, but maybe he did. I don't know. It's a year and a half ago. Sorry, I don't have the full context because this is the best I could find. Uh, but Daddy says, it depends, of course, but I've known many people, women and men, who had sex with adults when they were 13 and never regretted it. Should the adults in those situations be locked up? I don't know what Lee responds with. And Thaddeus says, I can guarantee that you know many people who had sex with an adult when they were minors and never regretted it. Tell them it's disgusting. So he's throwing the challenge back at Lee saying, tell them that they're victims. Um, I'll, I'll get to, you know, my opinion on all this, but the, the reason that I bring up this next question is specifically because of these tweets. People are making it sound as if like, why would you ask that question without it being referenced as rape? It's like, because that's not how he referenced it. So my framing is Thaddeus's framing. I'm saying, you're saying that there are people that don't feel as if they were victimized. And I want to clarify with him but you do believe that there are people that are underage that have sex in his, in his framing um, that do feel victimized, in other words, raped. And he agrees. So I don't understand the controversy here other than the fact that people don't know the context, which is why I'm now giving it to you. And let's watch the clip in question. Certainly acknowledge that there are many 
people who are, you know, 13, 14, 15 that have sex with an adult and then feel as if they were taken advantage of too. Oh, 100%. Okay. Okay, so let's focus many, on the many, worst. Many, many. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. so let's let's pretend like we all have our like utopia. So if 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 I could answer this in utopia, right? In my like uh, you know, perfect in cap utopia. Each community, each community and each um so it would be each caregiver, parent and community including teachers, um potential faith leaders and neighbors will decide if the child is ready to consent. And, and look at the child's behavior. Do they have a job? How is their education going? Are they, are they cognitively available to have uh, sex with this individual? And then um, also look at the history of the individual as well. So does this, um, does this individual have a history of abuse? Um, yep. And then you go from there. Certainly acknowledge that there are many. So people are furious because I nodded towards the end of that. Um, I guess I understand why, I guess. But the truth of the matter is, like, we're, she even says, like, we're talking in utopia, which we joke later on about how terrible the use of utopia or fantasy in discussing this topic is. And I'll, I'll play that for you if I find the time. Um, but, like, yeah, the framing on that, not great. But what we're doing is a thought experiment on how we can have a solution to the violence that occurs to children without relying on the state. And that's what she's saying is like, because we're coming from an anarchist perspective where there would be no state, well, then you would have to come up with solutions that don't involve the state. And what is a better solution than the parents? I mean, I don't think that there is a better solution than the parents, but ultimately that's also not a flawless answer because so often the parents, usually the father, are the ones that are um, that are predators, you know, like a huge percentage. Of, it's not necessarily the fathers. I, I should say a relative. It's usually a relative. And if that's the case, well, then obviously you can't really rely on the family to make that decision now, can you? Um, so we, we go into this further and we talk about how challenging this is. And ultimately I conclude that, yeah, under our current cultural structure, like this would cause more harm than good, in my opinion. I could be wrong, but I, I think that this is probably not a realistic solution. Yeah, in, in a perfect no. in that world, we could all agree. So, and honestly, Thad, I wish that communities were small like that and involved in their children's lives. I truly feel that child sexual abuse, child sexual abuse material and human trafficking would diminish by quite a bit. And that's partly why I'm ANCAP, right? That's what led me to this because I see the yeah. government's fumbling this. But you can see there that she's talking about an anarchist worldview. Like there is no government. How do we deal with this? And she's saying like, I wish we lived in that community, that small tight-knit community where we could have actually look after one another because I believe that that would diminish the uh, incidences of child abuse. And that's Eliza's position. And I think that it's very unfair to be, you know, framing her as advocating for grooming when like that's the context within which we're, we're discussing this. Um, and for the record, I think that she's right. I think that if the families, if communities were smaller and more tight knit and looking after one another, we wouldn't have to rely on the state so much. That just makes sense. Right. Um, and I think that that would be good. <laughs> and I think that that would help to, to look after the children of the community. I think that oftentimes when you, delegate that role of parenting to other 
established institutions, be it the church or public schools, that's where we see a lot of the predators, you know, poaching or whatever you want to call it, uh, predatoring. And I think that there's a really obvious reason for that is that they, the people that have predatory instincts are going to gravitate towards these institutions that have this air of authority that are able to be isolated with children. And you have to be very cautious with doing that. The same with the, I mean, the Boy Scouts even had issues with it. So like, this is a consistent pattern that occurs in any sort of institution that is dedicated towards children. And I don't think that's an accident that you have such a high case of abuse that happens or a high percentage of abuse that happens in these type of institutions. So it's not, it's not a perfect answer to say like, yeah, a smaller community would just look after the kids and everything would be fine. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it could help some, <laughs> you know, it could help some to have the parents be more present. Present. Like, I think that's, at the end of the day, that's probably what we need most. And I think that's, at the end of the day, that's probably what we need most for almost every issue we face is that we have far, far too much absentee uh, or absenteeism, absent parenting. Uh, so this is also something that, you know, libertarians are not, uh, known for discussing because there is this kind of libertine strain of libertarianism that says, we're not ever going to comment on people's life decisions, period. Like as long as you don't hurt somebody else, we're not going to comment on it. Look, I'm not trying to make a law that says that you have to get married and you have to be loyal and you have to stay and you have to be attentive to your child. I'm not making a law over it, but I have very strong opinions on it and I'm not going to bite my tongue. You, if you're a man, if you have a child, you should be there for them. Period. Forever. Why that would be a controversial thing, I have no clue. Uh, and for the record, same with the mother. She should be too. And they should be, you know, as, as loving and as concerned with the rearing of that child uh, because it's their most important duty on earth, in my opinion. So, yeah. Not trying to implement a law, not becoming some statist unlibertarian by saying this, just saying that I have a strong opinion that a big chunk of our societal decline is a product of our failure at parenting. And I stand by that. And I think it's true. I think that the latchkey kid phenomenon is not to the benefit of our society. Uh, I understand the circumstances. I'm not trying to, you know, make everybody feel bad that has you know, found themselves in that position. If you have kids young and you're living in a, in a consistently inflationary world and both parents have to work, like there are circumstances that make this a very challenging ask. So I am not trying to diminish it at all. And I'm not saying like, if, you if you're in that position and then your kid goes to public school and they get molested, that's not your fault. I'm not saying that either. I just think that like, the more we can encourage people to try and prepare for parenthood, the better off we'll be. And while I don't think it's necessarily wise to wait until you're, you know, my age to have kids as I've done, um, I do think that trying to find any way possible that at least one parent in the household can be there for the kids through their most formative years, I think we would all 
you know, as a collective, we would be way better off. Um, that's my opinion. I guess I could be wrong, but I don't think so. And, and historically what we see is like, if you're in a situation where that's not really possible, there was still, um, like the abuelas, you know, that was very well known in the, the Latin communities that like, sure, the parents may be out working, both parents may be out working, but then that's the grandparents' role is to be there and to basically like rear the child. And while some may say that's not ideal, um, I still think it's a beautiful thing. And I think that like part of those cultures that I really appreciate is that they, they have a, an affinity for a tight-knit family framework that Americans more broadly don't seem to, to share. And there's a lot of reasons for it. So I'm not going to get into all that, but I just, I think that we would be better off if we were to embrace some of that culture where even if both parents have to work, well, then that's where the grandparents come in. And I mean, we, we, we have some of that in America, undoubtedly. Um, and as I've said, it's not ideal, but like, it's still more ideal than, you know, putting your kid in daycare and then having them, you know, from middle school through high school, just latchkey in it and just hanging out with their friends. Like, I think that having some sort of adult influence, loving adult influence uh, through those, those years is really important. And I think that we would all be better off if we could find a way to do that. So controversial, I know. Just to show that, you know, what the context of this discussion is like a lot about different cultures and historically when people began to have kids. Um, in the past, obviously, people had kids much younger, and in different cultures, that's still the case. Oftentimes, it's it's predicated based off of like poverty levels. If you can have more kids, you can have more kids that are making medial incomes, and then uh, they can take care of their parents. This is a very common phenomenon. On this, Bill Gates is to some extent correct that if you're poor, oftentimes you have a ton of kids because you're trying just to find any way to generate labor that can produce income that can keep everyone alive. So uh, this is what uh, the point that Eliza makes here. And I think once again, it kind of goes back to to demonstrating what she was getting at with the, the prior discussion. Because I think when we look in history, right? So when we, look, when we look at life expectancy, like before, I probably would have already been dead. I mean, I'm a 40 year old woman, so I probably would have already been dead at many points in history. Um, so I would have had to have had children earlier. Um, now, with the use of modern technology, I still have a chance, right? But um, in the past, I would have had to start uh, having intercourse earlier. And that would have required me to start around the time of menstruation. And sometimes uh, children can menstruate around uh, very young. Um, mm -hmm. I think that it depends on the culture. I think it depends. Well, first and foremost, we're speaking and just for clip purposes only, right, gentlemen, um, we're speaking in the context of like total NCAP like environment, right? We're not speaking under the context of like the, the laws as they are written right now. I always stick to the laws as they're written right now. So we're talking in a totally different universe where, um, you know, we're not ran by the state, right? I just wanted to make that clarification because that's that's the whole thought experiment, folks. <laughs> we're not we're not speaking in the current paradigm. We're not saying that that the age of consent laws should be changed as they stand today. Uh, as much as we're saying, what if those laws didn't exist because the state doesn't exist? How would we address this issue? And the answer is, I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, the, I think that it's a it's an important discussion for uh, you know people in the anarchist community to have simply because like this is going these are going to be the things like this and national defense like who looks after kids and how do we defend the nation from invasion like those are the two things that people that oppose anarchism bring up and they're right to because they're very tough to answer uh, that doesn't mean that that preferring anarchist answers to as much in your life as possible ultimately is the wrong path to go down it just means that like okay this is a this is a tough one you know how do you defend a nation if you don't have a standing military well first you start by not invading everybody for my entire life that helps um but yeah it's it's complicated right it's hard it's a hard answer especially with nuclear weapons and all sorts sorts of uh you know, standing armies all across the world. It's a big deal. It's a big issue. Something that you can't just dismiss. And similarly, you can't just dismiss people's concerns about like, okay, you don't have CPS. You don't have child protective services. What do you do? You don't have cops. What do you do? You don't have laws. What do you do? These, like, this is what anarchists talk about. I know it may be uncomfortable to people. I don't, I don't really understand why, because for me, it's like, it's second nature. This is how I'm always thinking. I'm like, how can we do what the state does without the state? And that doesn't mean that you don't want to protect kids. It means you do want to protect kids. You just want to try and find a way to do it without the state. <sighs> Frustrating. For those questioning my position, if this doesn't make it crystal clear, I don't know what will. So here you go. It, it is, it is amazing. You can do that. Yeah. yeah, it is amazing. And I'll tell you, if I were to walk into a room and stumble upon it, I would punch until my knuckles broke. So, um, I mean, I can't, yeah, you know, I'm just but, being honest, but that's at the same time, yeah. I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that's like the elevated, you know, <laughs> Zen approach. I'm just telling you, I would end that, that person well, probably. So I look, <laughs> that's pretty straightforward. No, I like, that's honestly how I feel. If I were to walk in and find someone abusing a kid, I would commit heinous violence. I would. And I feel like most men feel that way. And I kind of feel like you're not a man if you don't feel that way, to be honest. So um, I don't think that there's any reason to present that other than the fact that people were questioning whether or not I actually think contrary to that, which I find appalling. Um, so yeah, that's how I feel. For what it's worth. And just to give you a kind of a global perspective as to why this conversation occurred and my position, if in case it's not clear already. That's part of the taboo that we're talking about is that like, I, you know, I am passionately opposed to pedophilia. I think it's a, a really dangerous thing. And yet by having this conversation today, I lost lots and lots of people, you know, and that's uh, that. I don't know. I doubt that actually. Well, I may, I may have made up for it with new followers, but I'll tell you for sure. I know for a okay. fact, I did lose some people that had been riding with me from a while. That's back. Ridiculous. But those aren't people you wanted to have follow you anyway. They I, were there you go. I, that's, and, what I, and, that's what I said to Clint. That's exactly what I said to Clint. And this is why no, I'm, and this is why I'm anyway. having this conversation is because I agree with you guys. I think that this is, these I are the people, people messaging me. I had big profiles, very big profiles messaging me, like sending me his screenshots of his tweets or whatever. I encourage difficult conversations. If we continue to shove them under the rug, we are, do you, I don't think people understand how much abusers and traffickers love the fact that we keep shoving this under the rug. Exactly. Exactly. That's the best, exactly. that's the best case scenario 
for um, exactly pimps, pedophiles, predators, abusers, everybody. They want it shoved under the rug. When people say, oh, you can't go talk to Alex Jones because he's a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, why wouldn't I? I want my ideas on on with a conspiracy theory show. So I just wanted you guys to see like that was from my vantage point at the time. That was the spirit with which all three of us were approaching this conversation. And certainly where I was coming from, whether or not they were, you know, you can be the judge at this point, but um, I think they were, and, or at least I thought they were. <laughs> um, but I think that these types of discussions, while challenging, are important. I think that it's important that we're actually, just because a subject is very taboo, doesn't mean that you shouldn't be having the conversation if it ultimately can help protect more children. Just as like, just as how I feel about Eliza, like if if her backstory was either embellished or fraudulent or whatever, but she saved some kids, well, then it was worth it, right? I mean, it, to me, it's worth it. I wish she could have gone about it a different way if, if it's the worst case scenario, but still, like, it's worth sacrificing, you know, even your reputation to some extent to try and make a difference for the better. And that's what I sought out to do with this. And as I said in that that clip there, like I lost a lot of people and I, that was early on in my show because I, I had only been doing the show for a year at that point. Um, and I knew that I would and it was okay because like I felt like the people that really understand, you know, what I'm about would know, you know, why I was doing it. And, you know, for those that, that I'm losing during this period, same thing. Like, I'm going to continue to have hard conversations that are sometimes with taboo subjects and taboo people. And that's just, that's not going to stop. Like, I, I think that the, those are the things that we don't have enough of in this world. So I'm going to do them. Like, age of consent discussions, probably not going to do any more of those because I don't feel like I have anything else to say about it. I did a two-hour, very nuanced discussion on it. And it's not even close to the... <laughs> to the top of the list of the things I'm really concerned about, which as you can tell by my show, it's like FBI corruption, preventing World War III, you know, the Marxist takeover of our education system. Child grooming actually is a very big issue that I'm concerned about. And I've had James Lindsay and Josie and a whole bunch of other people on to discuss that. Um, so, you know, my priorities I think are clear based off of my track record. What you've seen from me has been like, what you see the most from me are the things I care about the most. And, you know, the 18 hard line limit, not even, not even really an issue that I, that I concern myself with ever other than that one day. <clears throat> um, but I still think that there are people that are, you know, wrongly on the sex offender registry. And I think that they should be, you know, exonerated or whatever. You know, if you pee in a place that you shouldn't, like, that's crazy that your life is screwed up forever. Um, I know, you know, the I, I would assume that the majority of people on the sex offender registry are, in fact, sex offenders. I don't know. I've never really dug into it. But I know that there are some people, as with all things with the state, there's, you know, innocent people or nonviolent people, at least, um, that are suffering. And it's sad that no one speaks out for them. So even if it causes me reputational damage to do so, I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And fuck you if you have a problem with it. How about that? That's my that's my honest opinion. 
We need more people with more courage to, to tell the truth, even when it's unpopular. Just as I tell the truth about the Ukraine-Russia situation and I get a lot of hate for it, I don't give a shit. I'm trying to not have everyone die in a nuclear holocaust. And if I get labeled as you know Russian propaganda or Russian media, fuck you. I'm not. I'm not that. I'm just telling an unpopular truth in a time when we desperately need it. And I hope that if anything comes from this, more people feel encouraged to take this path, to tell the truth no matter what. Because it makes me sad. It makes me sad that people will see this. And I know a lot of people will see this and they'll think to themselves, oof, I don't want to be in Clint's shoes right now. I don't want to be going through that. I'm definitely going to think about that before I have this person on my show or before I say this at work. Screw that. Tell the truth. We need it. We need truth. We don't have nearly enough of it. And I don't feel like I've done anything but that the entire time I've done my show. And I'm not going to stop. And good fucking luck stopping me. Sorry. I get a little aggro sometimes. That's how I feel. And let me just double down on appreciation for those that do have the courage to speak out on my behalf in this moment. And uh, as you can tell, I haven't, I haven't taken this opportunity to go like, no, 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 Eliza, Thaddeus, get them. Leave me alone. I'm not doing that either. I'm not playing your fucking games. I'm not afraid of the mob. I stand for good, period. And I'm not gonna try and make my name by dragging people down. And I'm not gonna lie about my opinions or, or try and deflect and let other people take flack because the mob is so vicious. I'll take whatever you got, but just know I am unstoppable. I can't be stopped because I care about this stuff more than you do. That's the truth. I care way more deeply. I care so much that I'm willing to sacrifice everything to try and help everyone. That's how I feel about this stuff. It's not bullshit. I really do care that much. For my own self-interest as well as everybody else's. I feel like the trajectory of our civilization is on such a perilous path that we could literally all die. Like that's how that's how dangerous this is. So when it comes to like, oh, you're going to have people unfollow you. Okay. Like, have some perspective. None of that matters. None of it matters. And at the end of the day, I believe that truth wins out. And if I'm wrong, fine. I go down swinging. If I lose people because I'm uncowed, because I'm unwilling to fucking acquiesce and allow the mob to dictate who I have on and what I discuss... Fine. Fine. I don't care. Because I have to be true to myself. And if I'm not, then I've already lost. I've already lost. Because the, the, whole, the whole reason that like Ron Paul was a success is that he told unpopular truths when you weren't supposed to. The, the reason that they were unpopular is because the world wasn't ready to hear it yet. I don't care. The world has to hear this. The world has to hear that we are on a path towards World War III and we have to turn back. We have to. And we're also on a path towards some sort of global government. I'm going to talk about that. 
because once that happens, we're in serious trouble. And we're also on a path towards a technocratic dystopia where you have full surveillance, total panopticon. And I'm going to talk about that. And that's not going to be popular by, uh, you know, the establishment. Don't care. Going to do it anyways. I'm going to talk about the FBI's corruption, even though it'll probably be put me on watch lists. I don't care. Because if the FBI is as corrupt as I believe it is, and if it gets more corrupt, well, then we're screwed. This nation is toast. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to be so bombastic in my defense of my position here, but I want to imbue in the few people that have courage still to maintain it. Do not let them break you. Do not. If you now, let me say this. If I thought I messed up, I would apologize right now. I would. If I thought I had done anything wrong in that discussion, I would absolutely apologize. But I, I'm telling you, I rewatched it because I was like, all right, Chrissy Mayer wants to talk about it. Here we go. Let's see. You know, I haven't watched it since I did it a year and a half ago. I have no clue what I said. And I watched it back and I was like, that was pretty good. Like I talked about a really total third rail, not allowed to say anything about this. And I spoke, you know, from the heart, off the cuff the entire time. And I don't feel like I, you know, if you understand the, con the context, I don't think that there's anything wrong with anything I said throughout that entire thing. Genuinely. Not to say I don't get things wrong, you know, I'm like I could have some wrong theories on how we might deal with things. Um, but yeah, not apologizing <laughs> and I'm not backing down. And uh, for those that uh, are, are still rocking with me, thank you. Thank you for having my back and, and knowing, you know, what I'm about and, you know, kudos to you. Kudos to you for having the courage because you don't have to. You could just be like, oh, it's unpopular to stand by Clint right now. So I'm going to fucking run the other direction. That takes courage too. And, I, and I'm not going to downplay that. That takes some courage. And, you know, I think that you'll find that the bonds you form with people when you live in that, in that way, much better, much more healthy way to live. And, and, I, and I, that's how I'm built. You know, I have that for my people. Tower gang guys, they're all lunatics. I have their backs. Dave and Robbie and everybody in the Mises caucus, I have their backs. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to stand by them unless they do something really egregious. That doesn't mean that I, I'm just like blank check. Whatever you guys do, I'm on board. No, I'll have disagreements and I will call you out publicly. That's also being a good friend. And if anyone in my friend group thinks that I was wrong in this interview, tell me why. I am more than willing to have that discussion. But I think if you watch it, you won't feel that way. Genuinely. So that's my perspective. Um, let me end with this. Uh, Thaddeus has some very unpopular opinions. Part of what he prides himself on is having these types of discussions that I'm having that are, you know, third rail. Um, I conclude differently than him on some of these third rail topics, as you can tell. Uh, but like the people that have those conversations, I, I like that. Like, I, that's what I want to see. I want to see people having third rail discussions. Now, I hope that you come to, you know, the right conclusion <laughs> when you have those third rail discussions. And I, honestly, like, I'm not 
totally certain of where Thaddeus lies on this particular subject today. Um, he can address that for himself, but I don't think Thaddeus is a, is a bad guy. And I don't think that he's a predator, honestly. Like the, the, the framing from which he's presenting his arguments is I know people, you know, I have significant others or exes or whatever, or friends that have dealt with this. And he's adamant that he has never dealt with this. So I think he's just asking the questions based off of people in his life and, and their lived experience as the left might say. Um, and I think that, you know, what, whatever your perspective is on Eliza in terms of her backstory, assuming she was doing this work, I hope that people can see that there was value there. And if it turns out that there, that she wasn't okay, well then, you know, she's going to probably do something else moving forward. But, um, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, I'm just a very forgiving person. Like I just want, I want everybody to get better and succeed and prevail in their, in pursuing their life's passion. Like what I saw in Eliza, the reason I was so over the top, you know, flowery in my praise of her in the first half an hour of that episode was, you know, I saw someone who from my perspective at the time had gone through hell and decided to come out the other side fighting for people that were in hell. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. And if it's not true, well, that's a different thing, right? Um, but I love people like that. I love people that like, that go through hell. And then they say like military vets, they come back from war and they, and they like, they make their passion either looking out for other vets when they come home from war or, you know, trying to prevent the next war. The anti-war military veterans are beautiful people and courageous as all get out and oftentimes suffering with PTSD and all sorts of stuff that they don't talk about. And those guys are savages. So those are the type of people that I like. And that's what I saw in Eliza. Maybe I was wrong to see it. Maybe I wasn't. I don't know. Um, but I hope that my interpretation of her motives was close, closer to the truth than not. And I hope that, you know, she was really passionate. I just don't know how you wake up every day and talk about all the stuff that she talked about, all that darkness and do it for no good reason at all. Like that's hard for me to, to wrap my head around. And I I'd like to believe that her passion at the end of the day, even if she has interest in, you know, fame and glory and whatever, like, I hope that there was some aspect to that path that was sincerely dedicated towards helping the, those that weren't being helped. Cause that's beautiful. And I hope, hope that that's true. And if it is, I hope that she can find a way to make that her genuine focus moving forward. And I hope that people can find it in their hearts to forgive her. Why do I feel that way? I don't know. I just love people. <laughs> I really do. I just, I think that like we would all be in a much better place if people had more love for one another. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel. Love one another.
I don't even know why I'm getting emotional. I just think like when you see the darkness that exists in this world and and people, you know, that have prior beef with you, they use it as a moment to like capitalize, like, oh, I'm gonna go get this guy. It's just like it's dark, dude. It is so dark. And I don't feel like I have that in me. So like when it comes for me, it feels very foreign. It feels like a like a almost like a vampiric or demonic energy. Just like wow, there's a lot of like sickness in the world, and sad. It's really sad, and I just want to like do whatever I can to help heal it, to help more people feel as if like they have enough purpose in their life that they don't have to be doing that. Like you don't, you don't have to be doing that. You don't have to be making your name off of tearing others down. You can make your own name based off of your your good work. You can do that. It may be a harder path, but I promise you, you'll feel better about it. It's more sustainable. Uh, it's more moral. And the world would be better off if we were all doing it. So, oh, God, I don't know why I had to get all fucking emotion with you guys. But, hey, I love you all. If you have any further questions, please drop them in the chat below. I'll be happy to respond. Um, please try and be kind. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of negative comments over the past couple uh, or past 24 hours. And I'm not used to that because most people that watch my show understand like, oh, not a bad guy. Uh, but, you know, a little sensitive. <laughs> a little sensitive over the past 24 hours. <laughs> um, if you want to support my work, as always, libertylockdown.locals.com. We're out of here. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?